No, I mean, it's kind of a running gag that, uh, you know, Mr. Jones has a, has a toddler. Like, I think he just turned one this week. The prince is one and walking around. So it's funny for us. Ha ha. Maybe he'll make the show. Maybe he won't. But I mean, he's got legit things to deal with. So cut him, cut him some slack. Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me here at the Bob Media Studios is the man himself, the Regent of Rage, the Baron of Bourbon, the King of Columbus, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Danny. Still here. Uh, I'm still here. I'm here (laughs) through the entire intro this time. I was actually in a good mood until about five seconds ago when everything crashed on my side. For those of you listening at home, the first 20 minutes of the show were shot because Leon's internet died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I blame Russia. So horribly sad. Yeah, happy World War Three Day. Thank you. Thank you. Happy World War. We should be drinking. Of, uh, actually, I boycott vodka. What should the we, time what should, there's got to be a Ukrainian drink. We got we to gotta have some solidarity. Yeah, we'll support the Ukrainians. We, we look for Ukraine... Brown. Maybe we'll find some for the next episode. Anyway, what uh, what's your brown for today, Leon? Well, tonight's brown, and I can't remember. I this is not a good combination of having a show where you drink brown and then try to remember which brown did you drink. <laughs> but I'm in, I don't know if I've done this one yet or not. This one's Coppercraft, based out of Holland, Michigan. It's a fairly new distillery out there. This is a straight bourbon whiskey, 97 proof. It's a small batch. Everything in this distillery in Michigan is very um, kind of niche. And they're they're fairly new. Let me see. I, I actually had uh, their thing up here. Learn a little bit about them. But yeah, they're, uh, they have a straight rye. They do make a gin out of there. Uh, in Michigan, but yeah, they, they've only been around. So I want to say since, okay, 2012, but in 2018, they were named, uh, Michigan's distillery of the year. So pretty, Michigan. pretty cool. It, pretty good, pretty good, uh, bourbon, honestly, uh, surprising. I would have never picked the, I mean, it's a beautiful bottle. I would have never picked it out. This is definitely a triple B find. She mm-hmm. heard about it and yeah, she's got a gift. It's it's is that pretty the one you do in rocks so, or that the one you do in neat? Uh, well, the first pour was on the rocks. Okay. The second pour goes neat. Copper Craft, so. Holland, Michigan, in the USA. Nice yeah. bottle. It's got an Elijah Craig feel to it. Yeah. Straight. It's, it's nice. All right. How about you? What are you drinking? I am rocking the Four Roses single barrel throwback to last year's brown bracket. This is on special at the Costco's near me, and it's uh, that's a win. Nice. Nice little bottle. Yeah, it's actually it's actually very flavorful. I do enjoy it myself. I'll be drinking it neat tonight. And you're growing up right before my eyes. I remember mm. when training mm. wheels were the only way you can enjoy a drink. 
Yeah, it's a shame <laughs> they can't do alcohol advertising because they would have taken the Coke commercials thunder a long time ago. Oh, yeah. The second you take your first drag of really good whiskey. Ah. That's good. And then you wipe your brow. That's so lame, though. What a blue God. law that you can't advertise. Damn motherfucking Coca-Cola. But they do advertise. I've seen Buffalo. I think they do. Uh, no, well, they do magazines. They do billboards. Um, they certainly done web advertising. They could eat newsletters. So they got direct marketing for sure. Uh, I don't know that I've seen spirits. I think they get away with it with the, um, like the, the seltzers and the, you know, the mixed drinks in a can. I think they can get away with that. I could have sworn um, I saw a Woodford commercial, but I might not. I might not. I feel like I did. Well, I saw a, a good Johnny Walker commercial where Robert Carlyle just kept walking towards the camera, but I don't think you can see that in the States. I think that's only uh, in the motherland. Wait a minute. Mila Kunis was in a, was it Jim Bean? I think it was. You know, she's Jim, Ukrainian. Yeah. Well, that's what I should have done. A she baker. speaks the Russian. She's she's definitely in my top five of crushes, Ooh. mainly because I think she's funny. I think she's very funny. It's tough to be hot and talented, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And there's so few of us. Yeah. You know, birds of a feather, right? <laughs> Got to stick together. Uh, so I don't know if we mentioned this before the uh, the break, but uh, Mr. Jones will not be joining us tonight. Sadly, man has responsibilities. What can I say? Hopefully he'll be with us next episode. But um, now that we've uh, talked about our brown, let's talk about brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's Talk About Brown comes to us from vinepair.com under the heading Booze News. Yes, before you ask, we will be returning to this media source to see what other booze newses they have to talk about because this is a rather compelling article. Dated January 11th, 2022. So we're reaching back about six weeks here. We're recording this on February 24th, uh, Ukrainian Invasion Day. The headline reads, Impending American White Oak Shortage Threatens Bourbon Barrel Production, study says. Article begins, American White Oak. Oak, the resource commonly used for making whiskey and bourbon casks, may run short if action isn't taken soon, research shows. If there is no intervention in the immediate future, the species population will significantly diminish in size, according to a study published by the White Oak Initiative, a coalition dedicated to the preservation of American white oak forests. Major causes for this include maladapted land management practices and shifts in the forest environment, not allowing for the species seedlings and saplings to take root and reach maturation. Currently, the trees grow on more than 100 million acres spanning the eastern and central United States from the Ozarks to the Appalachian Mountains. From the surveyor's report published in 2021, 75% of all the white oak acres are classified as mature, which hinders the growth of new trees. Accordingly, 60% of those acres had no seedlings, while 87% had no saplings, allowing for other species to take root in these areas once the oaks have died or been harvested. 
Outside of the devastating environmental implications, this news isn't great for the $8.6 billion bourbon industry that has defined itself by using this wood in its casks. In response, several whiskey and bourbon distilleries, including Beam Santori, Brown Foreman, and ding, 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 Sazerac, Sazerac. have joined the White Oak Initiative and pledged to have 50% of their logs be from sustainably managed forests by 2035. First, before we get too too deep in this, I got so hung up on the fact that there is a group called the White Oak (laughs) Initiative (laughs) Group. I mean, talk (laughs) about- coalition. It's coalition. Yeah, it's a coalition. And, and by coalition, there's three people. Because <laughs> it coalesces. White Oaks in their backyard. And it really makes me feel like a big giant piece of shit because I don't actually belong to any. I need to find something that's just so <laughs> niche that nobody supports and say, I'm going to save this thing, whatever it is. I, I mean, do you, Danny, what do you support? Are you part of any of these random groups or coalitions? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but you know, it is a coalition uh, and it's dedicated to the preservation of American white oak forests. I'm for that. I support it. I'm for it. I'm just yeah. surprising. There's a coalition to support it. You know, Mitch Hedberg says, let's uh, chop up a sandwich in fourths and arrange it in a circle, put toothpicks in it and dump chips. Now we're in a club. <laughs> uh, there is a, oh, there's a website, white oak, initiative.org check that out Uh, as always we'll be posting these links in the show notes so if you want to follow along at home you can see the websites that we're looking at read along to the articles we're reading Uh, the article ends for kentucky bourbon while any species of oak can be used for Mm -hmm. the mandatory charred new oak containers distinction most producers prefer american white oak which imparts the buttery vanilla and caramel flavors that are so popular in the spirit. In 2019 alone, Kentuckians used 1.7 million charred new oak barrels. So if demand is any indicator, there needs to be a drastic push for securing the next generation of trees before there aren't enough left for aging your favorite whiskey. I think this makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're just the most selfish species probably in all of existence. Like we just think we can just keep cutting things down. And Well, I mean, I knew it had to be oak, okay. right? So how many different types of oak are there? Should we, should we pause the show and find out? So white oak for sure, right? How many types of oak trees are there? Thank you, the Google. Wait, ah, okay, here wait, we go. Don't, don't tell me. I'm going to guess. I'm not going right. to look. All right, don't look. Uh, can you give me multiple choice bands? Uh, we're in the dozens. How many? Oh, okay. Dozens. Yeah. First and foremost, uh, of course, is white oak. Thank you. I was going to say 20. Okay. We have northern red oak, English oak, swamp Spanish oak, cecil oak, black oak, water oak, burr oak, southern live oak, willow oak, post oak, swamp white oak, southern red oak, scarlet oak, blackjack oak, chickapin oak, chestnut oak. Valley oak, swamp chestnut oak, hybrid. And then, of course, a number of different distinctions here. Quercus infectoria, Oregon white. That's Oregon white oak. Go to Oregon. I mean, you would hope that they Is this a solution in search of a problem? Yeah. I think 
let's just plant some damn trees. Is what That's we're right. I'll, you like, know what? I'm going to do my part. I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of the coalition. I'm going to get myself a white oak tree. I'm going to plant it in my yard. We need, we need a Greta soundbite right here. You should be ashamed. <laughs> you should be ashamed. Ashamed. <laughs> I'm ashamed of you. Yeah. What do you think Greta's thinking about, uh, Having Vladimir Putin taking over Chernobyl. That's not going to make her happy. Is that where Chernobyl was? Is in Ukraine? North central Ukraine, right Mm. on a river that's very close to the border of Belarus. So it's all bad. But who cares? Like, I'm not, Chernobyl's nothing but a wasteland now. Like, have it. That's that's the one part of Ukraine you're allowed to have. There's still some nasty, nasty fuel rods in there that they sealed up. And so if, if he plants a charge there and he goes, I'll push the button, I'll push the button. Mm. My understanding is that it's not, it's not completely dead. It's just buried. So if he decides to uncover it, that's nuclear radiation. Did you see Chernobyl on HBO? So I watched the first episode and I had so many nightmares about it. I couldn't even continue on because that was so fucked. With the incompetence level? Well, just... It's scary. It's super. I mean, you know how far away I am from a nuclear plant that they're trying to shut down. Not very far at all. So it's terrifying. The kicker that I remember from that show is, yes, of course, it's it's supposed to be dramatic. It's supposed to be the heightened sense of the inefficiencies of the Soviet Union. But the part that really, really bugged me was they didn't do anything about it. And then like Finland called him on the phone and went, hello, there's a cloud of radiation coming over our country and they were taking, telling German kids to come in from out of the street. And like, that's, you know, that's not an isolated incident. Mm-mm. That shit spreads. That was, yeah. that was one of the more terrifying things. So yeah. White Oak. So they're expanding and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's just sanction them. That'll work. They're, they'll stop. Oh yeah. Let's Sanctions. Just- yeah. They're doing a great job right now. Yeah, he feels very threatened by these sanctions. <laughs> it's almost like it just prompted him to do more. But let's not talk politics nope. and worldviews. We just talked about Brown. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Today's business news comes to us from the BBC. That's right, the British Broadcasting Corporation. This one was posted up to the website about four days ago. Job fished. The con that tricked dozens into working for a fake design agency. Now we have another issue that we're going to play on a future episode, Leanne, where we talk about fake employees. This mm-hmm. is a fake job. Uh, this one's a little bit more sinister, which is why we talked about it. This is about a British agency called Madbird. You can look this one up. This one comes from the BBC. Uh, the Zoom call had about 40 people on it, or that's what the people who had logged on thought. The all-staff meeting at the glamorous design agency had been called to welcome the growing company's newest recruits. Its name was Madbird, and its dynamic and inspirational boss, Ali Ayad, wanted everyone on the call to be ambitious hustlers, just like him. But what those who had turned on their cameras didn't know is that some of the others in the meeting weren't real people. 
Yes, they were listed as participants. Some even had active email accounts and LinkedIn profiles, but their names were made up and their headshots belonged to other people. The whole thing was fake. The real employees had been job fished. Dun, 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 bum, bum. The BBC has spent a year investigating what happened. So this is interesting. Chris Ducey, 27-year-old sales manager based in Manchester, started at Madbird in October 2020, a few months before the Zoom call. He would be working from home, but the pandemic was still raging, so that was normal. COVID had upended Chris's life. It had cost him his last job and was the reason he'd applied for this role at Madbird. The ad described a human-centered digital design agency born in London, running worldwide. Sounded good. Mm -hmm. Madbird hired more than 50 others. Most worked in sales, some in design, and some were brought in to supervise. Every new joiner was instructed to work from home, messaging over email and speaking to each other on Zoom. Days were often long. Jordan Carter from Suffolk, who was 26 at the time, was credited with being one of the hardest working members of Chris's sales team. In five months, he pitched Madbird to 10,000 possible business clients, hoping to win deals to redesign websites or build apps. By January 2021, his work ethic had earned him the title Employee of the Month. Other staff lived outside the UK. Keen to tap into a global market, Madbird's HR department posted job ads online for an international sales team based out of Dubai. At least a dozen people from Uganda, India, South Africa, the Philippines, and elsewhere were hired. For them, the job represented more than just a paycheck, but a UK visa also. If they passed their six-month probation period and met their sales targets, their contract said Madbird would sponsor them to move to the UK. Ali Ayad knew what it could mean to make a new life in the UK. He often talked to Madbird staff about his past before settling in London, but there were many versions of his story. To one person, he introduced himself as a Mormon from Utah. To others, he was from Lebanon, where a difficult childhood had taught him how to be a hustler. Even his name changed. Sometimes he added a second Y to his surname, spelling it Ayad. Other times he signed off as Alex Ide. But some chapters in the story he told people were consistent. Key, above all, was the time he spent as a creative designer at Nike. He told everyone about working at the fashion brand's Oregon headquarters in the U.S. It was where he'd met Dave Stanfield, Madbird's co-founder. Stories didn't seem far-fetched. Smooth operator on video calls, intense, charismatic, even appearing caring. Spoke with confidence, sometimes bordering on bullishness. It's how he persuaded at least three people to quit other jobs. Thoughts on this, man? Well... I mean, you you introduce this story as these basically they're being catfished or job fished is the way that they they call it out. Who this guy? He's their lead salesman. He's how does he not? They're paying him, right? So what part of this is not a job? Like that's the part I'm, I'm getting to is uh, weighing up another tough business decision. Often used a quote attributed to Steve Jobs: "If you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream." Uh, For months, Madbird's daily business hummed along. More designers were hired to meet the backlog of briefs being negotiated by the sales team. But even before the truth about Madbird was revealed, its workers had a problem because of the unusual way their contracts had been written. They were yet to be paid. None of them? All right. Well, this is just a bunch of morons then. (laughs) That's what I think. All these morons had agreed to work on a commission-only basis for the first six months. It was only after they passed their probation period that they would be put on a salary, about $47,000 a year. Until then, they would only earn a percentage of every deal they negotiated. 
They were all young adults looking for work and living through a pandemic. Many felt they had no choice but to accept the terms of the contract. No deals mm-hmm. were ever finished. Mm-hmm. February 21, not a single client contract had been signed. None of the Madbird staff had been paid a penny. Wow. Some recruits ended up leaving after a few weeks. Many stayed. Many had been there for six months. Forced to wow. take out credit cards and borrow money from family to keep on top of bills. Longer you worked at Madbird, the harder it became to leave. What if one of the big deals came through? Made no sense to resign just as you were about to get a payoff. For many, a salary seemed within grasp. Plus, in the middle of the pandemic, you needed a job. It's obvious now why no one was paid. Madbird had no money coming in. But that wasn't obvious to the staff. They mistakenly assumed their pay contracts were unique and that their line managers must have been on salaries. Besides, Madbird was on the cusp of signing a whole bunch of deals. The money was finally coming. Or that's how it appeared until everything crumbled one afternoon. Whistleblower here was Gemma Brett, 27-year-old designer from West London. And she pulled the rug out from under all of them. That's crazy. That's a that's just unbelievable. That for six months, you run a fake company. Having all these people do all this work. For what? I'm also kind of shocked. Like they did work. They're producing stuff, right? Even like a really bad salesman who makes 10,000 calls is going to hit one of them. Right. So we're, how did he not get paid? You know, like you said, no contracts. That's, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around. It's like, I feel like there's missing pieces. So here's an interesting one here. At least six of the most senior employees profiled by Madberg were fake. Their identities stitched together using photos stolen from random corners of the internet and made up names. They included Madbird's co-founder, Dave Stanfield. Despite him having a LinkedIn profile and Ollie referring to him constantly, some of the duped staff had even received emails from him. Ollie told one employee that if they wanted to get in touch with Mr. Stanfield, they should email him because he was too busy with projects for Nike to jump on a call. Using facial recognition technology, we were able to match Dave Stanfield's headshot to its actual owner, a Prague-based beehive maker named Michael Callis. Awesome. When we tracked Michael down, he confirmed he had never heard of Mad Bird, Ali Ayad, or Dave Stanfield. Nigel White was another. Someone using his name had even logged into that January Zoom call, but his photo wasn't of a graphic designer. It was a model whose image was in Getty. (laughs) It was a Getty Images stock photo. Wow. Wackier. For about three weeks, I'd fall for it, but that's about it. Uh, others were even wackier. Graphic designer, brand growth manager, and marketing manager at Madbird actually turned out to be pictures of a Lebanese doctor, a Spanish actor, and an Italian fashion influencer. All of their photos have been stolen. So they never found, or is this actual guy exist? Did they track him we down? contacted or? all 42 brands Madbird had listed as former clients, including Nike, Tate, and Tony, and Guy. Most of those that responded had ever worked for Madbird at all. One pitch document distributed to Madbird's potential clients had been copied from a London-based design firm called Hatched and some places lifted word for word. Ollie's backstory crumbled too. And then there was Ollie's Instagram account. 90,000 followers lists himself as an influencer. Wow. People are just terrible. People are just awful. So the article goes on for another page and a half talking about how awful this guy is and how everybody's lives fell apart. Um, but here's what I'll say, like leaving your job for this, that's fucked up. But if you're, I mean, you're, you shouldn't starting a job and not getting paid 
for a month would be enough in my opinion and say, okay, well this, this is not a company I want to be a part of. I, I, I'm, I'm not here for fun. I'm here to get paid. So, I mean, what is the, was this guy just trying to fake it till he make it? Is that, is that what's going on here? Well, this is the part of the article that I'm getting to, which might actually provide some, some insight here is uh, they tracked him down to a West London street one afternoon last October, where the BBC confronted him. He was dressed in a black leather jacket on his way to an underground station. He was surprised, didn't show it, choosing at first to ignore questions, but after a while he couldn't help it. He insisted he'd been trying to do some good. All I know is that we created opportunities for people in the midst of COVID. When BBC accused him of creating fake identities and stealing other people's work, he got angry. I did? How do you know I did? Was he implying (laughs) someone else was involved? Wouldn't name anybody. There was always the possibility that some anonymous mastermind was behind everything, and it is something we seriously considered. But without any names or help from Ali, it was a path we were unable to pursue. He also insisted the Madbird did have an office. But when the BBC challenged him, he backtracked, implying he meant a virtual office. You don't really have to have computers and stuff, right? It's a digital company. (laughs) Eventually, he stopped answering questions. A little little catch-me-if-you-can-ish. Yeah, I think so. So by the end of the article, they offer a plausible explanation. So one is that the whole thing was an attempt to start an actual business. It may have started out as a lie, but maybe Mad Bird would eventually start closing the real deals and making money. The company, staff believed, was just days from signing on clients when everything fell apart. If the lies hadn't been uncovered, who knows? Maybe Mad Bird might have been a thing. Started on a lie, but it could have become something. Another explanation is that it was about more than money. Maybe Ali Ayad got a kick out of pretending to be a boss. He genuinely appeared to enjoy his time running Mad Bird. Job interviews with him often lasted more than an hour. He told stories about how he'd turned people's lives around by spotting their talent, giving them a chance. He sent staff links to deep house music to listen to while working. He wanted to be a cool boss. And for months, he was. Pandemic changed the way many of us worked. Communicating through a screen became the norm. Ali Ayad exploited that. It was as if he wanted to be the next Elon Musk, and in Mad Bird, he thought he'd found a shortcut, a universe where he would be judged solely by his online presence rather than the offline reality. Most shocking part of Ali Ayad's gamble? It worked. I think this is a fascinating story and an amazing case study that I think a lot of college students should be researching. Yeah, Because one, people are easily duped by the internet. Everybody never. reads it ever work for a commission only position unless you know somebody that's working there who's gotten paid yes commission only is a trick yep we have ourselves a guest guess who decided to show up oh yes gentlemen sorry a little late mr jones has joined us Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing? How are we feeling? How are you feeling, man? Congratulations on being a father for a year. Uh, Yeah, I had uh, my happy parent day. Uh, Happy father and mother day actually was yesterday. So son turned one, which was spectacular. Took him to, uh, I don't know if you gentlemen know this, Build-A-Bear. If uh, (laughs) you go to Build-A-Bear, you uh, pay for a bear, a birthday bear uh, for however old you are. So we uh, bought a Build-A-Bear for a dollar, which is kind of fun. Nice. uh, Any listeners know it's kind of a fun little thing. And then you dress them up. So got them a a nice little outfit that's uh, Warriors and called them Clay Bear after Clay Thompson. So it's good fun. Uh, 
it's kind of been a wild year as any kind of first year parent, it's a little bit of a shock and awe. And, uh, I don't think we ever kind of get used to it for a bit, you know, but oh, no, you never get used to it. It's just no. a different no, kind that's of good, man. But we should unpack that in the parenting segment. We did have something we were going to look at about a naughty build a bear. Uh, we'll mm. probably save that. We'll, we'll save that for a future episode. But, uh, do you have any Brown that you want to talk about? Uh, my Brown is, uh, Tonight is the Mickner Small Batch Sour Mash Original, which I, I don't know if any of the listeners are used to the Mickners, but this is phenomenal. This is really good. Um, good. I think most yeah. of the stuff they make is good. off the charts. Really, really good. Price point about 50 bucks. Uh, it's definitely. a fair price point for the, for the quality, for sure. Yep. For what you're getting, I mean, it's, it is tried and true and really good. Uh, good stuff. So very happy with it. I think the, what is this? I'm not sure what this, oh. 86 proof. So we're on the lighter side. Hopefully no slurred speech tonight. Well done, sir. Well, that wraps up business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from popular science, popside.com. The inside scoop on Apollo 10's infamous floating turd. Plus other fun facts. Uh, so this one was interesting to me. Uh, I don't know why. You figure that... I remember something from biology class that everything that's living has an internal circulatory system, consumes and uses food. And then I remember talking to my sister and my brother-in-law about this. And my brother-in-law said, yeah. And then they also, they also shit. Right. And I said, I don't know. That wasn't, that wasn't on the list. And this is seventh or eighth grade biology. You know, you got your peachy folder and you got your analog methods of doing things. There was no laptops back then. There was no digital, whatever. And I was looking at my, Looking at my chart, and I was like, there's nothing in here about waste. I was like, no, you have to process waste. All living things intake and outtake. I was thinking about that as I was reading this story. And as it goes, the astronauts of Apollo 10 went up in the, uh, went up in the space and took a shit. <laughs> as humans do. So fact, pooping in space used to be so messy and difficult that free-floating turds were not uncommon. Just take that visual right there. While recently <laughs> researching... How fiber the... are these astronauts actually getting, though? That's the question. Like... Well, don't you want to know how you take a shit in space? Because if everything well, floats, you, gotta, you, got, you either got to sit on a vacuum or... How do, you, how do you do it? Well, what does Tang do to your shit? Is, there, is this neon orange tang poop that's fly, floating Dehydrated around? Dehydrated ice cream is super good. Yeah. Right? Uh, so the article begins, while recently researching the conundrum of dealing with irritable bowel syndrome while traveling through space, I was reminded of one of my favorite pieces of NASA lore, the free-flying turd incident. In May of 1969, with humanity just on the cusp of our first lunar landing, three NASA astronauts set off on Apollo 10 to orbit the moon, and then someone pooped. Now, here's where we get into it. Pooping in space is complicated, even with modern technology and know-how. In 1969, the process of emptying one's bowels in orbit was even trickier. You see, astronauts had to adhere plastic baggies to their rear ends using a bit of adhesive, then use their own hands to make sure poops actually made a safe landing in the intended receptacle. Without gravity, after all, there was no natural force acting to separate the bowel movements from their butts. But this process left plenty of room for user error. And on Apollo 10, the result was a free-floating turd. Several, in fact. Don't believe me? See for yourself. Each awkward incident got recorded on the official mission 
transcript. <laughs> For more on the saga of the Apollo 10 turds, listen to the weekly episode of the Popular Science Podcast. That's right, boys. Well, I, Manually I hold I the bag up your bum or it gets loose. I just assumed that there was like a cone-shaped vacuum that sucked it out of your butt. That's just what I assumed. And uh, I guess I was wrong. That's so I also linked to a, another link here from popside.com forward slash space forward slash diarrhea in space. And they actually, they talk about it. They're actually referencing the movie Moonfall, but they kind of, they kind of get into it. Did you watch any of that space? It was a show that was released. I'm still waiting for season two. It had oh, the, the, door, door. the guy from house who was the captain of it. Trying to yeah. Think the the uh, cruise ship. Yeah. That was on HBO. Yeah. Did you watch any of that? No, I didn't watch it, but I like him. Okay. Uh, hilarious. Very slapstick. Very, very funny. And, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you want to see it and don't want me spoil this joke, close your ears. But one of the funniest parts of this thing is like in episode three, the containers that were holding all of the cruise ship flying ships shit, you know, exploded. And so what it did is there was so much gravity is this, all the floating shit became a ring around the ship and it never <laughs> went away for the rest of the season. Every time they show it, you see the ring of shit around there and you don't get it unless you saw that episode of what you're actually looking at. It's hilarious. And that was a run on gag on the show. It's a run on. It's always there. They, whenever they look out the window, there's a ring of shit. And unless you saw that episode, you have no idea what you're looking at. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, actor's name is Hugh Laurie from Thank House. That guy's awesome. HBO Max. I mean, how he played that character house and then you find out who he really is and how he actually acts like he is way more Monty Python than ever a house you know how I mean he deserves every acting accolade for for pulling off well, you guys hung because... out with Eddie who who did a stint on that show um you know he yeah. does his grumpy Midwest American and then once they yell cut he turns around and goes Eddie how are you mate <laughs> and it's the most unnerving thing apparently Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's acting. Thank you. <laughs> that wraps up the crank file. Let's get on to Because Florida. Because anything goes to Florida. Baby, let the good times roll. Because anything goes to Florida. Come on down and do your worst. Today's Because Florida comes to us from the Associated Press. Real news, bitches. Miami agrees to do something about its peacock problem. Finally. I mean, geez, how long have we been waiting for this? We're not talking about the streaming service. Oh. Peacocks could be on the outs in some South Florida neighborhoods after the Miami-Dade Commission agreed to loosen a law protecting the birds. While the 20-year-old law still protects peacocks from harm, commissioners agreed Tuesday to allow cities to opt out if they present an appropriate plans to humanely remove the divisive birds <laughs> from areas where they're not wanted. The Miami Herald reported mating season is when we get the most complaints. <laughs> <laughs> they get very aggressive said hmm. sponsor Raquel Regalado, whose district includes neighborhoods in Coral Gables and Miami where peacocks roam freely. They lay their eggs, they build their nests. They pack the cars. Neighbors often so, clash over the peacocks. Go on, Leah. What is it? No, are there, are there a ton of these peacocks around? They're just 
so many. I've never oh, even wait. heard of this. As an well, doesn't Mission Viejo have the annual coot shoot? I don't know what that I is. That is. It's just a way no. to depopulate too many birds. I, I well, uh, speaking up north and here, uh, peacocks are effing annoying. <laughs> they are fucking terrible birds. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, normal, you know, an eagle or a you know crow or whatever it is. Yeah, it cackles here and there. The sounds that peacocks make is fucking awful. It is <laughs> the worst. There's wild peacocks just yeah. up in Northern California, just walking around. I've been to a peacock farm and they do make the strangest gurgling. Yeah, noises. they do the strangest. Behind where my in-laws live, there's a, a peacock. And now I don't know if it's wild. They t- my, my in-laws told me it's wild. There's a few wild birds, um, but there is also a horse stable and there may be, maybe one rolling around there. I've been there in the creek. Be something there, but, 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 but they are the most annoying sounds ever. And if you're in mating season, probably it's probably just, and this is probably like a high end area. And they're like, Oh, I can't enjoy my tea and crumpets outside because of these peacocks making all this rubbish noise for whatever <laughs> it's worth. But I like the idea of killing birds that definitely, you know, loosens the population a little bit. Well, you know, I gotta be honest in the Midwest, definitely Ohio, but everything in that entire area is completely covered in Canadian geese fucking everywhere and they're protected. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. why, like, why are these birds protected? There's more of these. It's like crows here. Like, why are they protected? Are they protected? Are they protected? Or they're just being like, you you could, you could go to the fishing game in Ohio or whatever and get a permit to, I don't know, get 20 and you could trap 20 and kill them. No, you can't. You can't. Mm -mm. You can Mm -mm. do that here. You, you can go down to the fishing game of the county and say, I would need a permit to take out 20 turkeys because turkeys are a big problem up here. Mm. There, there's really no predator. They just go in huge harems and it just gets worse and worse. And it's just, they're absolutely uh, awful. I'm coming to visit and we're going on a hike. This oh, is amazing. It's awful. It's terrible. So you can go and then you get to go trap them. The problem is they're smarter eventually and how you always have to keep being smarter about how you're going to trap them. So like sometimes you have a fence and different ways you lure them in and then they learn and eventually they all go away, which I guess kind of solves your whole problem that, you know, now you don't have any turkeys and they go somewhere else, but um, you could do that up here. Just as a smoke turkey for the pod. That's what I think. Yeah, but you can't eat them. Why not? You what? have to throw Why? it. it the, way the, permit, permit. The, the way the permits go, you have to dump them. They have you to go into it. a trash can. Well, of course I'm going well, to dump them. That's the permit. And I'm going That's to provide permit. a corpse. Follow the rules. That's following the rules. So hey. I can go and do this. Fine. These are the rules. So suspect. <laughs> so let me get this right. <laughs> the the humane way, humane yes. being <laughs> wise. I think we we humans we consider we we consider the word humane as something is that that humans should do out of the <laughs> kindness. <laughs> we will go out and destroy these birds and kill them, but only, only if you waste them. <laughs> Do not use them for good. Can. You must waste Trash them. Yeah. You need to put them in the landfill, which that's not a problem. Just mm-hmm. throw them in there. Make sure you don't put them in compost, though, because we don't want this bird to provide anything Correct. whatsoever or as a positive. Waste. Got it. Okay. That's, that, yeah. <laughs> We're clear. We're clear on that one. The article continues, non-native species have a tendency to wear out their welcome in sunny Florida, where the State Wildlife Commission has encouraged the killing of iguanas and Burmese pythons. 
and That's true. house eating snails. For those of you <laughs> yeah, that are fans that of the one. show, you remember that episode we did. The county's 2001 peafowl ordinance was adopted following a petition drive to save a flock of peacocks in South Miami-Dade, forbidding their killing or capture. An exemption allowed homeowners to remove them, and one neighborhood did so in 2020 after an amendment allowed for removal of excess peacocks. State laws on non-native species prevent them from being released back into the wild. However, and many sanctuaries won't take them. The alternative is humane euthanasia. Regalado initially tried to repeal the ordinance entirely, but other commissioners resisted to avoid killing the birds. Are we talking about sentencing peacocks to death now? Says Commissioner Only if you Oliver throw them Gilbert. Away. Commissioners finally agreed five to four to water down the law, allowing cities to opt out after submitting peafowl mitigation plans. Regalado said the challenge for municipal leaders will be finding places to relocate the peacocks since euthanizing them likely won't win support. This really is not about killing. It's about moving. Mm. 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 That's right. Mm. As Steve Harvey would say, mm. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to play when the damn ship going down? <laughs> This is about moving the peacocks. Mm. It's called a relocation plan. Relocate them over to where the crocodiles are. The swamp. That's a great idea. Problem solved. That way the crocodiles won't eat the kids. Yep. Anyway, that wraps up Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. Today's parenting comes to us from CNN Travel. Disney wants to build your dream neighborhood. And no, Mickey Mouse won't be the doorman. So it comes to us from the 17th of February, so it's fairly new. The Disney company announced plans on Wednesday to create multiple residential neighborhoods across the United States, the first of which is expected to break ground in Rancho Mirage, California. AKA spokesperson told the desert. CNN, the desert, AKA the desert. Disney She's spokesperson told CNN that Cotino, the first project in its story living by Disney venture, will have about 1,900 residential units of various types on the 618-acre property. Prices have not been announced, though the spokesperson said home prices will be set by the home builder, taking into account market conditions. The property outside Palm Springs will be developed with DMB Associates from Arizona. Besides planning condominiums and single-family homes, Disney plans to have a mixed-use district open to the public with shopping, dining, entertainment, a hotel, and a beach park. Certain neighborhoods will be designated for residents 55 and older. Disney employees, whom the company calls cast members, will manage the properties and curate programming and experiences for residents. But you won't find Mickey Mouse there. And there are no planned discounts or perks related to Disney theme parks or products. Instead, residents will find water recreation, cooking classes, seminars on wellness, or philanthropic projects. All this, of course, comes at a premium. Residents would pay a homeowners association fee as well as a voluntary club membership fee, the prices of which have not been announced. Thoughts on this, boys? It's only natural. Disney's trying to take over the world. If you're not in real estate, what are you thinking? Right. So it's Always about time. Play. 
and their play is always about real estate. Um, it's interesting as a concept. Will it get off the ground? Can they hold it true to what they're trying to do? Time will tell. Mm. Does anyone really want to live like you're at a theme park all the time? I, I'm not me, but it just seems to me know. like they dry docked a cruise ship. Yeah. That's basically what this is, right? I mean, it's a different avenue for revenue from Disney. I mean, it makes sense, but I don't know if it will get off the ground, but you know, who knows? Nothing about what you read there, like screamed Disney either. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like what they're famous for and they do things right. There's no doubt about it. When you look Mm -hmm. at like the Disney cruise lines and how they do it and you know, they go the extra mile, they, they pick you up from the airport. I mean, that cruise is expensive as hell. I'm saying this because I have, I did it when I was a little kid, but I haven't done it as an adult because I can't justify the two X price next to like a Royal Caribbean or celebrity or something like that. But they do everything you don't have to worry about anything. They'll, they'll pick you up. They take your luggage. They, they make sure that you have an amazing experience. And so, so is it like, would you consider this to being like a country club, a country club membership then? I mean, obviously this screamed to me, like your HOA is going to be absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a master planned community, but I mean, I master planned, not so much in the sense of logistics and moving things from point A to point B, but master planned as in you're never lacking for something to do if you want to leave the house and engage. You know, most master plan communities try and have a park that's central to mm-hmm. the neighborhood so that people can congregate. But this, this is the idea that it's curated and managed by Disney employees. And Disney, if, if nothing else, uh, is, has an amazing approach to detail mm-hmm. uh, and, and operational excellence. I mean, you can think of Disney as the house of mouse, but that's really a small portion of their portfolio now with cruises mm-hmm. and theme parks and all the other shit they got going on. Yep. I just it's finished Bob thing. Iger's book and that company is a monster now. Oh, it's, it's ESPN. It's, I mean, the sports aspect alone is just huge. Yeah, they, they, all, all the assets they bought from <laughs> yeah. Fox just made them a distribution but, powerhouse. But the ESPN side of stuff is like, I don't know what I read a few years ago was like, that's what sinks them. They have to find revenue to meet, to keep up with the sports content side. Cause it's so expensive versus like, the, even the Star Wars, the Marvel all put together still can't fill the hole that is ESPN. Um, anyways, it's it's a massive company at the end of the day. I mean, Seems it's like Walt Disney had a thing for Palm Springs, so that's why they chose Rancho Mirage. It's also cheap land. Well, it's expensive say, it's also cheap land. No, yeah, it's but, not. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, but like I was talking playing golf with a guy this over the weekend, like the golf memberships at the country clubs out there, one, there are two, three year wait list and two, like the, the buy-ins are running between 50 to $150,000. What? And, yeah. You have to. Like, and I'm like, how is that even what? And Anyways, that's what he's telling me out there. Cause I mean, think about though, it's like the retirement community, a lot of people join. So I guess demand is high and the supply is low. A lot of retirees with all the boomers leaving the workforce. Well, it's a big popular place for that as well as, you know, um, other, other people. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. If they find a new way, there's, there was a community development that was in Ohio. Oh, you gotta go. 
All right, Mr. Jones is up. Uh, nope. There was a community development called uh, Lifestyle in Ohio. I don't know if they have it out here. And I always thought it was really cool because they have multiple communities and everything around it, surrounded around, they have volleyball courts and a really cool bar slash uh, restaurant. And it was a cool place for the whole community to come and hang out. Even that was cool uh, because usually you just see like a clubhouse or whatever, or a pool, but Hey, if they kick it up even farther than that, and they have, it sounds like it's almost one of these senior communities that is not for seniors, which is cool, right? You go to those places, they have bridge clubs and whatever else. So who knows? I'm all for it. So the article goes on to say, this is the first time Disney will attempt to create multiple neighborhoods across the country. Disney Imagineers, known for their creativity in building immersive theme park spaces, will design the neighborhoods to evoke the history and nature of each particular location. You can see and feel why Walt Disney himself used to escape to the desert. Michael Hungan, executive producer of Walt Disney Imagineering, said in a video about the new project outside Palm Springs, an area Disney's founder was fond of visiting. As we prepare to enter the second century, we're developing new and exciting ways to bring the magic of Disney storytelling to people wherever they are. Uh, and Mr. Jones took off, but I thoroughly agree. This is a real estate play. And mm -hmm. if they can pull it off, good on them. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm interested to see how it goes. Do, do they have anything in here uh, when they are thinking it'll open? Didn't look like it. No, let's see when really, the supplies come. Yeah, I mean they haven't really, they haven't really built anything yet. So anyway, that wraps up parenting. Leon, are you sufficiently angry? I am because sufficiently angry because it's time for Leon loads. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. As you know, uh, everyone can probably tell from today's show that I'm a little calmer and relaxed. And that's because I just got back from vacation. And uh, that should last about a week. So <laughs> that's good. Uh, went up to Tahoe yep. and so that was wonderful. Yeah. Took, took the, the family up there, including the dogs and we rented an Airbnb and that is our favorite way to go now because we can take the whole family and it's just more comfortable. And if you're going to do a week, do that, but there's also issues with it. And I think what I would like to talk about tonight will branch much more outside the Airbnb world, but I'm going to start with this to tell you how ridiculous some of the things were. So when we book this, you know, Triple B and I, not we're talking me, about North Lake Tahoe or South Lake Tahoe? North Lake Tahoe. North okay. Lake Tahoe. Good question. California side. Reno. Yeah. Uh, closer, closer to uh, Tahoe city up there, but most uh, the part that really frustrated me the most about this whole thing is the 
nickel and diming and horrible customer service that went into this specific management company. And it really branched me out to piss me off on anything that's along those lines. And I think everyone needs to be more cognizant of this BS and speak up for it. When you, when you see nickel and diming, well, let me just give me, I'm just so frustrated. I came and have a linear thought here, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> stick with linear thought. Here. We went out on Super Bowl Sunday. Triple B is a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I knew when we booked this, that there was a small outside chance. It's possible the Bengals might make the Super Bowl. Very unlikely, but possible. Yep. Hold Bengals make the Super Bowl. That completely changed our whole plan so that we were in Tahoe at the time we watched the Super Bowl. So I had to backtrack the math. We ended up leaving around 3.30 in the morning just so that we could make it there with plenty of time to watch the Super Bowl. They made check-in time. Super Bowl starts at 3.30. With three or four days to go, we started engaging the management company to say, hey, we're driving up. It's a nine or 10 hour drive. We'd really love access to the place a half hour early, an hour early, so we can unload and watch the Super Bowl. Crickets, nothing. And then finally, they come back like a day or two before and say, well, we'll check, uh, but we will be having it clean. So right now, no. We start to read the uh, the different things about it. Well, if you if you go in there early without permission, it'll be fifty dollars an hour if you go in there. And I'm like, well, I, I'd pay fifty dollars at this point because I'm driving nine hours to get there. I'm watching the damn Super Bowl. I'll pay fifty bucks for it. I don't give a shit. But trying to get a hold of them and you know, hey, do the right thing here. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I promise you, you don't have a fucking cleaning. Cl- people in there they're all at their house or the bar watching the super bowl we know it you know it just let us in the damn house this is stupid and then when we get in there we start reading all the nickel and dimey stuff so you know we brought our pets right we brought our pets and that's why we picked this place well then oh well if the pets ever go up on the furniture that's an extra hundred dollar charge well every fucking pet i don't care if it's a bird or an iguana or a dog, it's going up on that furniture. So just, just call it out and charge it up front. Don't pretend or dangle some goddamn carrot. Like we're going to be able to prevent animals from climbing on your furniture. And when you, Danny, I'm going to, it's okay. I'm not going to rant the whole time. I need a little back and forth from you. When you (laughs) think, when you think of, when you hear that you purchase something and then but if you want this list of things that are actually what you want, like, oh, I don't know, let's pick uh, an airline. If you, okay, you're going to buy your ticket for $300. And then they say, did, did you want baggage? Oh, well, that's $50. Uh, oh, did you want to sit and not stand on this flight? <laughs> that's $100. Uh, did you want to... Uh, have a meal or a drink like there was there's european airlines that charge you for water nothing like you don't even get the soda the free soda i think, uh, like I think ryanair you got to put a quarter in the uh, bathroom yeah it's this this nickel and diming i don't know where it came from and i don't know who prefers it i don't know that that there is a there has to be 
because somebody is smarter than me has done consumer research to say that nickel and diming people and upcharging them for everything which what they actually wanted up front is is the best way to earn money really what it is is the best way to lose fucking customers it pisses me off it's bullshit just just i i'm at the point now when i when i go out and travel i'll do the all-inclusive but there's no way i'm gonna make i'm never gonna make it up because i don't drink like i did when i was 21 i i just don't want to constantly be reaching for my wallet i just want to enjoy the time that's where you know the club med and all them they they really made their hay because it was like let's make this easy you know try you know you have one side of the customer segment trying to make things easy for customers how can i make this easier and more enjoyable and you have this entire other side this other stream of revenue and uh they're just going after nickel and dime and nickel and dime and it's not the money it's the insult that really pisses me off just tell me up front what is it yeah okay fine but don't tack it on as it goes on because that calculation going on your head is a stressor that you really don't need that's why that's how i don't know i i I don't think i'm articulating it as well as i'm pissed off about it all right i'm 100 percent with you I, I am a big fan of transparent pricing up front. Give me all of it because then I can check all the boxes and I can select everything that I want to have. If you're going to have pets, there's no way that you're going to keep the pets off the furniture. So go ahead and bundle that in as pet charge. Because if you're bringing in something like a bird, no, you don't do a pet charge for that because nobody's ever going to know. The bird's going to be in a cage. It's never going to touch anything. So the whole idea of, well, if, you know, there is an argument, I think, for a la carte pricing pay as you go. But in most situations, it's bringing a pet. Here's the pet charge. And the pet charge is, let's assume you're going to do it. It's much easier than having to deal with it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the other idea is, suppose you get in there, you don't pay the pet charge, dog shits on the furniture, that furniture has gone. Do they have any recourse to go after you? And as far as I know, Airbnb has a pretty good intermediary policy. Um, better than Verbo or, or some of the other ones. But the idea is, yeah, if you do something that breaks the, you know, the rules, then somebody can go after you. But um, the whole idea with the airlines of, yeah, no, I'll, I'll pay to not have to stand. It's a pain in the ass and it's a piece of shit way of having a business model. But again, I think it comes back to transparency. If you explain all that stuff up front, then the customer knows what's coming and they should feel informed about their purchase, but changing things in the middle of the game. Cause that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're like, Hey, can I get in early? Oh, well that's 50 bucks. Like, what well, was that in the paperwork? You know, that that's where I would get annoyed. Well, it's a trick. It's, it's a little bit of a trick. It's absolutely annoying because they know they want the lowest number possible to show up on the feed that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a place to stay here. Ooh, here's the lowest number. Well, you know, I don't mind paying more, but just again, you you nailed it right up front. Tell me what it is yeah, and I'll pay. All of it. I, I don't pay for it. Just give it all. Give it, give me it all. Don't, don't surprise me on the back end. but still I would think the model itself screams cheap. Always the um, airlines that do that. Deceptive they, they, for sure. Yeah, I think it's cheap too. I think it's horseshit. I think it's total. But you know, hey, yeah, I, I'm actually correcting myself in mid rant here. The 
when you go to some of these super fancy restaurants, they do the same bullshit to you. They just do it in an elegant way. They're like, would you like a filet mignon uh, from great, from just a steak, ragu and marble aged, whatever. Yes, I would. That is $150. Well, you know, it's a wonderful steak and it's a special occasion. Great. Would you like mashed potatoes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mashed potatoes. That'll be $30. Wait, what the fuck's going on here? I'm paying $150. I even get mashed potatoes or sides with it? No. Would you like salt and pepper? That's another $13. Like they're, they'll just keep fucking all you of that, over there. Yeah, but all of that comes as, as a form of, you know, the experience. If you walked into a Ruth, Chris or a Morton's and you said, can I have an itemized menu. They'll give you one. They exist, but they're not going to put prices on the regular menu because that's part of pricing psychology. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm in the midst of deciding whether or not I want a vehicle. And this is probably one of the most horrible times in the world to buy a vehicle. And yep. really all I want is a little bit of price transparency. And so I've picked a fight with three different dealers over the course of the last four or five months when I say, just give me the numbers. And they say, well, you know, there's tax title, license, delivery, uh, alignment of the planet's fee. I'm like, great. What is it? Is it 4,000? Is it 15,000? Is it 80,000? What is it? We'll talk about it. Come on. Come on. I'm not coming in. Just give me the numbers. You know, and, and, um, this one fight I had with a a Honda dealership because I was looking at a Ridgeline. The guy goes, listen, you need to understand market situation. Go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Supply and demand. I got it. What's the number? Well, we'll give you all that in an email. Okay, great. Email. See you later. Well, why don't you want to sit down? Well, I'm waiting for an email, right? You know, and finally the email shows up and the email has a $3,400 dealer market fee. And it's like, fuck, just fucking give me that, man. Because I'll look at it and I'll go, all right, $3,400. No deal. I'm out. Instead, you make me do this fucking tired song and dance where the rep goes back and forth to the sales manager. And it's like, ah, let me give me a minute. I'm going to go back and yeah. talk to my boss. Let me go talk to my manager. Say, Just bring a fucking spreadsheet. <laughs> go over there, get a spreadsheet, bring it back and show me the numbers. And I'll tell you, I don't like that one or cool. But the whole idea of predatory pricing is that you withhold from the customer, even after they ask, like, that's what I yeah. want. I want, I want to be able to say, give me all the pricing. And then if they don't do it, I can go to a commissioner or something and say, I can slap the wrist. No, it's a no, no. That's the only thing that I would want out of the consumer financial protection bureau is that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I'm um, the other part of this that you're, you're kind of, you're triggering my low with Leon is I was looking at a Nissan dealership and they have a wonderful online portal. They call it Nissan at home. You ever seen this? Mm-mm. It's called Nissan at Home. It's a nice little red at home logo that they tack onto the Nissan logo. And the idea is that certain dealers participate in this program. And what they do is they literally give you the entire white sheet. And it's got everything. It's got tax, title, license, delivery, um, you know, finance and insurance fee. It's got everything on it. And then what you realize is it's twice the fucking sticker. And then you go, no, that's dumb. But I could have clicked it put it in my cart, paid for it, financed it, been on my way, and they would have delivered the vehicle to me, no questions asked. Hmm. But if I don't want to do the Amazon method and I actually want to pay something that sounds reasonable, again, it gets back to what is the advertised price and what is the out-the-door price? And that delta 
is the most painful part of buying anything ever. Oh yeah. I filled out a form and there's a guy that called me off the hook every three days. Like you want to talk about, I just want to go shake the guy's hand because that is salesmanship. Every three days at the same time, he calls and he leaves the message and it's the same message. This is so-and-so from the dealership. Just want to know if you want to come down. We're on 91st and whatever. Come down and let's look at this vehicle that you're interested in. We got lots of pickup trucks on the lot. Just come down and check it out. Every three days without fail. And then they go to email and I go, oh, email. Okay. So I responded to the email. I said, this is a nice lease deal that I just got from Nissan factory. Can you give me the details? Crickets. And I immediately get a phone call. Yeah. So you emailed us about a lease deal. Why don't you come on down to the dealership? We'll show you what we got. And I, and I was like, no, email is my preferred method of communication. And after another three calls, I blocked him. <laughs> got a phone call today from the sales manager. Different number. Who didn't leave a message. So your loathe is apt, justified, and true, sir. It's That's a dance. It's a dance you got to play. So <laughs> put on comfortable shoes. I feel better. This is a very cathartic um, segment for me and I appreciate everyone allowing it. I feel like it's my couch session. Yeah, it's good therapy. Get it off my chest. Good for you. Good for you. That, uh, That brings us to the end of your loathe, Leon. Well done. Let's get into some closing thoughts. Let's go to the bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! Nice closing thought, boys. After Harambe was shot. Remember Harambe? Mm-hmm. The gorilla, I think, was in a pen. Was it in Ohio? Cincinnati, yeah. Since it was Cincinnati. I gotta go to Cincinnati. <laughs> so this poor gorilla was shot, which was a tragedy. It was all over the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, scientists harvested his sperm so that his genes could live on. Well, that's nice. I know. Cooler your, if he's awake for it. Your first impression is, oh. <laughs> Somebody went down and jerked off a dead gorilla. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair so enough. that his I legacy stand. would live on. Uh, yeah, I hope somebody does that to me. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <sighs> That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com or you can call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>